Good to see uh, so many people. Um, Cindy and Ronnie, good to see you back there. Uh, man, we're praying for y'all, and uh, we're going to miss your your mom, Cindy. What a what a her, her funeral service. Her graveside will be tomorrow at the Washington uh, Cemetery at two. If y'all can make that, uh, I was so blessed to get to spend a little time with with Carol a week and a half ago, and she was so. <laughs> I got to tell this story. I'm sorry. I said, first thing, I said, sorry. She said, somebody must have told you I was talking bad about you. That's <laughs> the first thing she said. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved it. You, ne- you always knew where Carol, where, where, where you stood with her. And we had this great conversation about 45 minutes and got to pray together and share in the Lord together and just fellowship. And it was a great thing. So I'm thankful for that today. I was thankful for that this morning. I was praying. I always kind of just drive slow up to the building. And, and that was one of my prayers. Thank you, God, for Carol Adcock, because she was a faithful witness of Jesus. Great to see Sean and Cheryl here with us today. Sorry, I'm calling everybody out, but we've been praying for y'all. And uh, y'all are Y'all are such a big part of this church family, and we're thankful for uh, y'all's faithfulness in the journey you guys have been having. So, so great to see you guys today. We are blessed as a church family, and uh, I want to remind us this morning that maybe some of our best blessings. Before I, I don't want to pray, so maybe I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let, let's grab a hand and let's pray, and then we'll I'll, I'll start into that. Um, God, we are thankful today. We know that uh, some Sundays are tough. And sometimes even family gatherings are tough, whether that's immediate family or whether that's church family. But Father, we, we come together today in hope, in hope of the resurrection, in hope of this table that's presented before us each week, in hope of the body and the blood of Jesus, and in, and in just hope that is living, a hope that is not wishful thinking, a hope that's not, uh, maybe it'll turn out good, but a hope that we can say is assured that the world is headed in one direction, and that's towards you. It's towards heaven. It's towards the reign of Jesus Christ. And we long for that day. We long for a day where we hear the trumpet blast. But God, in the meantime, we will be thankful, and may you help us be faithful. But most of all, God, let us be grateful today for what we get to share. And may we truly share as a family today around this table, as we have been in singing and in celebration of what you do in young people, uh, Father, just just be here with us. Do great work today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Man, I, I truly believe this, that some of our best uh, theology, our best prayers, our best understanding of who God is comes from our children, right? I mean, if you've been around recently, uh, you've heard that. It was a few weeks ago, Corbin Bentley prayed right here up on the stage at, at, our, at our kids' Devo, and he prayed a prayer of just thanks that, God, it's good to be together. Y'all remember that? Or if you were here on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago, Sophia prayed, and she prayed, God, you are the best God. And I was like, man, that is a home run statement. Children have a way of just getting to the point But they also have a way with asking the best questions. Kids ask the best questions from funny ones to the ones that make you stand up and go, I don't know. It's the questions like, well, where did God come from? Or who created God? Or why did God have to die for us? Or questions that just come from a heart of purity that ask, 
who created you? And why does God love us so much? And this morning I want to deal with maybe what might be a kid's question, but I think it's a great question. I want to deal with this question that's on the screen. What does God do? And particularly what I'm asking is this question is what does God do in this place? Because I think most of us probably have pretty good answers to questions like, well, what does God do when he forgives somebody? What does God do when we watch somebody come out of this water of baptism out up here? We know answers to that. What does God do when uh, we confess? We know that he forgives. And we know that when somebody comes up out of the water, he is in the act of redeeming and gifting the Holy Spirit. We know that when we repent, God is at work embracing. But what I want to deal with today is, is a question that I think is a little childlike. It's not childish, but it's childlike. And look at the question of what does God do when we gather, when we sing, when we pray, and particularly what does he do when we come to the table and commune? Because I'm not sure we know how to answer that. We know what we do. We know what we do when we sing and we know what we do when we pray and we try to pay attention and we try to uh, connect and we know what we do when we, when we commune. We read scripture on that, but I wanna just turn our attention today, turn the spotlight away from what we do and just simply ask, what's God up to in this place? Because I think the answer is profound and I think scripture reveals some beauty to what God does. Because he's not passive. When we come to the table, is God just taking this all in? Is he standing in the corner with a clipboard like some of us may imagine that he's, that he's checking to make sure we do all the acts of, of, of worship like we're supposed to? Or is he maybe hovering over us in a passive presence that's ambiguous? checking you out. When I was a kid, I believed if somebody asked me, what did God do? I would say, well, he was out to get me. He was going to get me in a gotcha moment because I got distracted or I got unfocused. But what I want to deal with is what he's actually up to. Because I don't believe God is just a passive participant hovering over in a corner with an all-seeing eye trying to see where we slip up. In fact, I believe scripture teaches something quite contrary. It teaches that he is an active participant, particularly as we take bread and drink of the blood. See, worship, it's kind of a slippery, difficult thing to define, right? But worship in its plainest sense is simply loving God and loving others, right? Right? Worship's following God. It's doing what God wants. And what God wants is for us to be people of the great command. Love God, love neighbors. And so scripture, if we're gonna be true in worship, is learning to love God and love our neighbor as we worship. That's what worship is. It's always bi-directional. It's vertical and horizontal. But scripture always teaches us also teaches us that God is not just seeing if we're doing that, he is participating with us. Zephaniah 3.17 talks about 
God singing over those who are in worship that he has redeemed. The New Testament carries that passage forward in that idea. And the Hebrew writers in Hebrew chapter 2 talks about Jesus in verse 12 participating in the worship service as we gather. That he is singing with us as the saints gather. Look that up. It'll blow your mind. It's an active thing that God does in the assembly. At work, transforming, redeeming, loving. But he's also communing. And so today, what I want to do is go deep into this. We're going to look at a couple passages. But most of all, what we're going to do is have the goal of going I want to be able to know what God is up to, not just so I have an answers, but so that we can continue to be transformed as we gather and know that this place is special because God is at work in it. What God is doing as we commune and as we take is revealed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If y'all want to turn there, you can. It's on the screen. 1 Corinthians 10, 15 uh, to 18 says this. It says 17 on the screen. It's 18 that I'm going through. Now, we kind of usually pick up our communion thoughts in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, but we're going to go back a little chapter, get a little context. And here's what Paul says. He says, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I have to say. And then he, and he's going to talk about communion. He's going to say, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? It is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. And then in verse 18, he says, consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar. So what Paul just said here is he says, I want you to know communion is a participation. I want you to know that when we commune weekly, there's a participation. And then he connects it to something that Israel did when they came to sacrifice around the altar. Now, again, we often focus communion thoughts around Paul's uh, words in 1 Corinthians 11, or maybe Jesus's words in Luke 22. And those are great places. But here in chapter 10, something amazing is being said. What he says here is that communion is not just an act of doing, it is an act of participating with. Now, did y'all catch that? I know on a Sunday morning and with our tryptophan guts still working, you've had three leftover turkey sandwiches. You may have even had it for breakfast, a turkey omelet this morning. I don't know what you had. Yuck, that sounds disgusting. But we're kind of hard to focus this morning. I get it. But try to lean in for just a moment here and look at, at the profundity of that word. This is participation in the body and blood of Jesus. You know what that word is there? It's not an empty word. The word participation is this same word, koinonia. It's fellowship. We call it, we have a meal and we call it fellowship feast. We have a gathering and we say, let's fellowship together. We tell each other we need to be in a community and accountable to each other. And we call that fellowship. Well, Paul here uses the same word for communion. Communion. 
that we are fellowshipping with Jesus when we take body and drink cup. When we take and eat, it is koinonia, it's fellowship. It is a meal, not just observing memory of him, but it is a memory with him and a participation in him. And it is not allegorical church. It is not analogy. It is reality. That's what Paul is saying. He's not using analogy. He is saying this is what is happening. So what does God do? What does God do? What we know then from this passage is that if it's participatory, what he's saying, Paul is saying, in communion, God is at work. He is participating with us as we eat and as we drink. He's not on the sidelines, in the stands, evaluating our performance, saying, well, they really weren't up to Church Christ standards today, they get a C minus. Church Christ and Canadian really struggling today. Let me give them a grade. That's not the passage at all. He is at work. And then Paul in verse 18 takes it even further and he says, let me give you, let me give you something to compare it to. And so in verse 18, he says, consider Israel. Did not those who eat of the sacrifices participate in the altar. Now, just a word on that, just so you hang with me for just a sec, but just a word on that. We often think of the sacrifices, or at least I do, maybe you're with me. We think of Israel's sacrifices as just burnt offerings. I bring my lamb, I bring my goat, I bring my bull, whatever it is. They slit its throat, we throw it on the altar, they burn it up. It's just a burnt sacrifice. Uh, it's, I overdid my turkey this week and I was upset, but I had a cold, so I couldn't taste it anyway. It was on everybody else, right? It was a little dry. It was kind of a burnt sacrifice. That's kind of what we think about, uh, when we think about Israel, but that's not actually how the sacrificial system works. Some of the sacrifices were for just burning up. They would burn the entire thing up. Day of atonement, burn it all up. But the primary sacrifices in Israel were sacrifices that you participated in. And those sacrifices are what were called, hint, hint, or ding, 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 the fellowship offering, the koinonia, the connection, the participation offering. And that sacrifice was the sacrifice of praise or the sacrifice of fellowship. And what you would do is an Israelite would bring their animal and they would wave it in front of the Lord. I don't know how that worked. I got, you know... Got my ham hock here, or not ham hock, that would be the wrong thing. <laughs> Got my lamb's leg here, and I'm waving it back and forth. That was way off base. And we're going to put it on the altar, and then it would burn, but it would really cook. And then the meal, a meal would follow, and you would get to eat with it. You would praise God, and you would rejoice with God in eating the meal, and it was a reflection of what God had always done. You, I don't, we don't have time to look these up today, but these come from passages like uh, Exodus 24, where Moses and the 70 elders of Israel go on Mount Sinai and they have a meal with God. That was the template of what became the fellowship offering. We want to have fellowship with the Lord. So I would sacrifice so that I could be in his presence, not him as a passive 
person, but as an active part of the worship. That goes on. Deuteronomy 27, seven, you can look that up. Talks about how that is be done in celebration. Even in the book of Isaiah, and I wanna look at this one. Isaiah in the Old Testament anticipates a day where the table is a feast of joy and participation with the Lord. It's in Isaiah uh, chapter 25, verses six through nine. Isaiah 25, if you read the whole thing, is a pretty dark chapter. In verses six through nine, there's this, there's this vision of hope that Isaiah gives to say, here's something coming. Here's what God wants to do with all people. And hang with me if you're like, where are you going with all this, Jake? We're about to come around to it. Here's what Isaiah says. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich, a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will surely say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So what Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians 10 is do you not know that you are participating in this coming hope that Isaiah talked about way back in Isaiah 25? Because we know that the Lord has come and he has established a mountain, code word for kingdom, that all people can come to and they can gather around a table and they can feast, not with the Lord watching from the stands, but they can feast with the Lord. And they can feast upon the Lord. And it's participatory. And this is no more clearly uh, realized than in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus. So this is where we're going to bring this all together. Now, we probably know this story. And just hang in for just a second. I know there's no children's church or we didn't release for them or something. Maybe that was our mistake. I don't know. Parents, I'm sorry about that. Um, but let's recap for just a second. When we get to Luke 24, the greatest news in all the world has already happened and a lot of people are not aware of it. Jesus has risen. The most important event in the history of the world has happened and people, even his closest followers, are still clueless to the fact. All right? If you like me going to bed last night not knowing that OSU won, that's a pretty big deal. I said I wasn't going to say anything, dead it came out of my mouth, right? Right? I didn't watch it. I watched the last minute and a half and about had a heart attack in that, right? But it was good news to me, bad news to some of you. But this news on the road to Emmaus is good news to everybody. It's like everybody won. And on this road, there's two disciples that haven't even heard the news yet. And as they walk, their faces are downcast and they're missing out and if somebody comes alongside them and unbeknownst to them, it is, the reliving, it is the living Christ, the resurrected one. And he walks with them and begins to have this conversation. And he asks them, why are you so downcast? And they say, 
They think he's the clueless one. They're like, have you not heard? We would put our hope in this guy who we thought was going to restore everything and ended up, he was just another revolutionary who died on a cross. And they have this conversation back and forth. And then Jesus finally goes, oh, did you not know these things had to happen? He starts to explain scripture to them. And then they get to their destination. And as they arrive at their, Jesus, uh, at, their, at their destination, Jesus is ready to go on further, but these disciples invite him in. And at the table, this is where it's key, at the table, this is what happens. So we've been leading to this point. Listen to these words. So Jesus comes into the house with him. And here's how you see, what does God do in communion? What does God do as we take bread and drink cup? Oh, it comes out here in Luke 24. When he was with them at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So it's at the table when they break bread that they have a realization. Passage continues. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. So they, they reverse course. They're like, we got to go do something with this. They hightail it out of Emmaus and head back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way, and hear this, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now hear this, because I know our Western minds, we like to think in logical ways and we don't like mystical stuff, but this is a mystical moment. Mysticism just means that you believe that the living and active God lives and acts in the world today. I hope you're a mystic. I believe that. This is a mystical moment. What happens in this moment is not a jogging of memory. Oh, yeah, yeah, we recognize Jesus. Oh, we were just, we were really having a hard time recognizing Jesus. We hadn't seen him in 24 hours. You know, we hadn't seen him since they took him to the cross. We hadn't seen him in 72 hours, right? That's not what's going on. This isn't a, oh, that was Jesus, we hardly knew ye type type situation. This is a moment of Jesus revealing himself. It's a moment of transformation. It's opening of minds and hearts and eyes and lives when he sits and participates at the table with them, when he is active, when we participate with him, we have our eyes open to the living, reigning, ruling king of the universe. That's what happens when we participate in communion. Okay, y'all with me? At the table, we in participation with Jesus and with each other, what does God do? He opens our eyes. The table is transformational. The table is joyous. The table is celebration because it's at that moment we recognize Jesus and we go, The world is crashing in on us, but when I take bread and cup, I remember who is the reigning king. And I participate with him. 
things in my life are tumultuous, God brings order back in communion. It's a beautiful thing. The resurrected Christ, the one who's defied death is here. And the template for our communion is to say we get to participate with him. Not to just remember, but to declare that while Fridays in this world, Fridays like those two disciples were having on the way to Emmaus, those Fridays are abundant. Those moments in life where we're downtrodden, like those disciples were, they were stuck in a Friday and they didn't know it was Sunday, right? They thought they had lost connection to their savior. At the table, they realized that Fridays are not eternal. Fridays are going to happen, but Fridays will not win. The table is a turning. It's at the table when we participate with Jesus that we have our eyes open, when our morning turns to dancing, when darkness turns to light, when our hurts get transformed into stories of victories, and when our past becomes triumphs of God's grace. Man, S.M. Lockridge, he had an old sermon that I want you to hear a section of. David, if you'll turn down the lights, the quality of this video is not great. If you'll just turn down the stage lights. You guys have probably heard this before. But I want to be reminded this morning before we commune that Fridays, while they are abundant, are not eternal. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the world's winning, people are sinning, and evil's grinning. It's Friday, the soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross, and then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday, but let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. 
and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. Amen, right? See, we don't deny the fact that Fridays are around, right? Some of you may be having a Friday right now. I don't think we just come in here and smile and we act like they don't exist. And we don't deny the fact that they'll come again. We're all going to have Fridays. But thanks be to God that it's here at the table that are Fridays transform into Sundays. It's here that we get to see the living Christ. That's why communion is so important to us. It's so central to us is that we get to celebrate not only and remember what Jesus did for us, but we get to celebrate that he not only died, but he has defied that death. And he has been resurrected. Fridays will not last. They are not eternal. Sunday will be eternal. We eat and we celebrate and we participate. Do you know every time the table is mentioned in the Old Testament and in the New, it is joyous. Where did we get off Believing that the table for us is a funeral. It's not. It is a time to, yes, remember, and yes, we're responsible for putting Jesus on the cross, but he didn't stay there. And so we come not to a funeral today, we come to a celebration to celebrate the end of Friday's. And so this morning as we commune, we're going to celebrate, we're going to share, we're going to, we're going to serve each other, we're going to participate. But most of all, what I want you to be challenged with today is to know that God has something for you. He's not just passively hoping that you do the right things in worship. He is actively work, working to transform you into his image.
And the table, if it's, if it's for anything, is for transformation. And so we're going to have our guys, if y'all will get in position, you guys that are going to serve, if y'all would come on down, they're going to pray over this. And as they come down, church family, what we're going to do today is something we've done before. And we're going to share with each other. So I'm going to have y'all stand up with me and stand up with these guys, if you will, if, if you're able to. If you're not, that's okay. Um, and I'm going to ask y'all today, uh, as you receive the bread, and we're going to go through our normal prayer time and serving, but these guys aren't going to necessarily serve. They're just going to be there to assist. What I'm going to ask you to do is if you receive, is serve before you take. So turn to the people beside you. Turn to the people around you and serve them. I know somebody's going to have to go first, so that, I, I get that. Well, what, what do we do? <laughs> Don't worry about that. Serve and share with each other. Turn to the people behind you. Give them the bread. Tell them what you're thankful for. Share with them. We're going to do that through the cup too. You'll have plenty of time. And then just keep that passing back. We're going to stand together and do that for a while. And then you can be seated when we do the offering prayer. But most of all today, just participate with each other. Share. And in Acts chapter 20, it's our template for why we do communion every week. A Eutychus, this guy falls out the window because Paul preaches all night long. And you guys think I preach long. Right? I haven't killed anybody yet for it. Right? He falls out the window in the middle of the night, apparently. Everybody gathers around him. They think he's dead. Paul comes down, lays on him. He comes back to life. They gather back up and then they commune. That's when they break bread and drink of the cup. And it says that their hearts were comforted. And you know why their hearts were comforted? Because there in that moment, they were having a Friday. Good grief. Paul killed one of their guys by preaching too long. But guess what? The living Christ brought him back to life. How about that? So their Friday became a Sunday and they were comforted. So whatever you need this morning, comfort, look for Jesus to bring that today. Maybe in the words of another or in the way you share. Or if you just need to share in victory, share that. If you need to share in gratitude and thanks, share that. If you need to share in transformation, share that. But share and participate because communion is not passive. It is active. Dwayne, if you'll pray for us, we will share in communion. Thank you for sharing with each other in that moment. Um, man, this is church family. I've seen, I've seen visions of that all day today, whether it was little Hadley Billings up here by, by Bridger, uh, sitting with him, uh, or just the way you guys interact with each other and, and love on each other. And uh, just this, this church family is special. And we're thankful that you're part of it today. Um, we do want to offer an invitation. If there's anything special that you need prayers over, uh, we pray for all things. In the realization that life is tough, we don't hide things and we don't mask things. We don't want to, although I know we sometimes get in the habit of doing that. What we do is we live open and honest with each other. So whatever you need today, we're here for you. Uh, let's, we're going to stand back up and sing. And uh, I know I just had you all be seated. But if you need anything this morning, please come forward or meet one of our elders in the back. And let's praise God and uh, pray for each other as a family.